0: Welcome to the Voices of Women Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tatiana Reznik, a practicing physician and a certified life coach. You will hear about inspirational journeys and practical tips from amazing women physician experts, as well as effective coaching tools and steps to joyful success. Welcome, everyone, to Voices of Women Physicians podcast. Now we have a second episode with our amazing guest, Dr. Valey Gray. And today we have a fun topic to discuss. We're going to talk about travel. Dr. Gray, welcome to this episode. Please tell us very briefly again about yourself in case if our listeners of this episode didn't have a chance to hear previous one. Yes. Well,
1: thank you again for having me. This is so much fun. I love the energy. You radiate so much joy. I just love listening to your voice. But for those of you who didn't hear the last episode, by the way, you should go and listen. It's really good. But if you listen after this one, I'm Dr. Whaley Gray. I'm a sleep doctor who practices sleep medicine in a rural critical access hospital in Vermont. And I am also the founder of Dare to Dream Physician Travel Podcast, where we put out a weekly podcast to inspire doctors to live their life to the fullest through travel. And I am super excited to be here to talk about how do we incorporate travel in our life to make our life better.
0: Thank you so much. And I'm so impressed by what you told us in the previous episode about visiting seven different places in one year, four of them international travel. And all of this is a busy physician mom with five people, family, including children. And how did you make it happen? Tell us. Yeah.
1: So it's funny because, so what I encourage the listeners to do is not listen to this and think, oh, there's no way I can do this. Like it's overwhelming to think traveling on seven trips in about a year. When I started this, I did not plan to do this. I just did the next thing, right? So I was saying the last episode about a year ago, I felt that travel was going to be this new chapter in my life and we didn't have passports at that time. And so I just did the next thing. I applied for passports and then I picked the first trip that was outside the continental U.S., but you didn't need a password, which is the U.S. Virgin Islands. So we started going on that trip. And through each experience, it built on one another. So after that trip, I booked the next trip. And after the next trip, and I might have booked the next two trips, actually. But basically, if you have an inkling, like, hey, I really want to travel. Maybe I want to see the world, but I don't know if I actually feel confident traveling to Africa on my own. You don't have to get overwhelmed by that thought. Just start with the next thing. Like, if Africa seems overwhelming to travel to, go somewhere else outside of the continental US, maybe even just in the US, right? And then just go from there. So that would be my how is there was no way I would have believed if you told me back in October or November of 2022, that I was going to do what we did.
0: Let's talk about each part of this travel. How did you make it happen? First of all, time. How did you get so much free time? Yes. So
1: that's going to be a little bit different for each doctor, right? So for me, I think at that point, I had worked about six to seven years in my attending job. I've been in the same job since I finished my training. And all the docs at my hospital get a fairly generous PTO allowance. The really interesting thing is, and I think it starts with our limiting beliefs, right? Most of the doctors at my hospital do not use anywhere near the amount of PTO that we were given. I think there's just something about, well, I can't leave my patient. patients or oh I mean to do it but it's too late I can't request next month for a week off because you didn't request it soon enough and so what I would suggest for all doctors who are listening whether you have four weeks of PTO or eight weeks of PTO per year is to really sit down look at your calendar and if you have kids or you have a spouse that have their own calendars just get all the calendars on your computer screen and on your phone and just block those times right put that request in if you are a hospitalist or an anesthesiologist or shift worker, put the request in. If you don't put it in, someone else is gonna get those dates, right? So just plan. So I think the first is just us. Make use of what you have. I think that is just key for everybody. So for me, I was one of those doctors. I never use all of my PTO. And a year plus ago, when I decided to embrace travel, I had a lot of extra PTO because they do let us roll over about half of what we don't use. So I had like a bonus travel time. So that helped. But that being said, it's case by case basis. And so that that's one way. The other way that I made this work was some of the time when I travel, for example, I didn't even count this as one of the trips, but I live in Vermont, and I have family in California and San Francisco. And it was really important for me for my kids to get to know that part of the family. And they really didn't have time to spend with that part of the family until I made this intention to travel. And so we spent two or three weeks at my aunt's house in San Francisco so my kids were there but during that time I did telehealth clinics right I could bill for telehealth clinics as a sleep doctor so it was a creative way for me to be in a different place be in San Francisco I mean I was still able to see the Golden Gate Bridge and do these fun trips that I wouldn't be able to do in Vermont and escape some of the winter that's in Vermont in January and have connections with my family but not really use all that much PT time so that's another way is just being creative with how can I be aware. Way, and you have to draw boundaries on how to enjoy your time so that you're not just working and working all the time but also not use up all my PTO time so those are two things also for those of you who maybe do shift work or my clinic hours are part-time we you ask my husband I work way more than 40 hours a week but with all the other things I do like sleep studies and whatnot but I have to be in the hospital about three days a week so what I do is I'll look at the calendar and it's like here's the two-week pay period here's another two-week pay period and I try to schedule the trip so that that the week before the week after, if I just do an extra clinic or for hospitals, if you do an extra ship, you're not using the whole entire time off. You can make up for it a little bit where there's a will, there's a way. So before we think about, we can't think of what do we want and then how can we? And I think that's how I came up with all those different strategies.
0: Makes sense. Absolutely. And now let's talk about as important part, money, how to make it financially possible, especially you mentioned that you're sole main provider for family, rate And work part? So how to make it happen. Five people in a family and seven international trips. What travel hacking tips would you recommend?
1: Absolutely. Like you mentioned, I am the sole income earner in my family. My husband is an engineer turned homeschooling, stay at home dad, and my kids are homeschooled. So people may listen and they're like, well, that's how she makes it work. But I want you to think, what's my situation and how do I make the most out of the situation I have? If you are in a two income earner family, you have more income. So you might not have as much time, but you have money. So you can optimize it that way. In my case, I don't have to worry about my husband's work schedule. So we have more time, at least only one, schedule to worry about and then my kids have a little bit more flexibility because they have homeschooling online classes some of the time but it's not as rigid as the school classes so for us it was just making that work so we do try to travel in the shoulder seasons and then I try to match the trip so this past summer my kids didn't have school at all even though they're homeschooled they still have to do school but they didn't have to do any school in the summer and so we went on these trips where we have to take advantage of that free time so we went to Taiwan we spent about two weeks there that's early in the summer and then later in the summer we spent three weeks in australia those were like place to place to place was busy it was action-packed it was adventurous and it took a lot of energy there was no way they could have homeschooled their way through those trips and we did that intentionally because they didn't have to be in school Um, in march we went to eleuthera bahamas which is this beautiful off-the-beaten-path island in the bahamas and it's a small island it's really chill and it's beautiful there's snorkeling opportunities the beaches were beautiful and you really didn't have to plan all that much there were caves to explore it's so much nature so what we did for that is my kids had frame breaks so they had a week off where we didn't have to worry about school but then the other week they had school and they just attended their online classes and we worked around the time around the classes so that was another way we stayed at a vacation rental and it was a very relaxing vacation where we didn't feel like we had to go from place to place to place you couldn't it took like two hours from one end of the island to drive to the other end and you didn't have to do the crazy like go through the whole continent of australia so those are some ways that we made it work time-wise. Financially, I will say when we first started, like the first out of the seven trips, I honestly didn't even worry that much about the finances. There's seasons in life, and the season before our travel chapter, I didn't really have that money expensive hobbies so we were able to have a cushion i invested most of that money it's not like i had a huge amount of money in the bank but when we started this new chapter in our life the first trip i really just wanted to go on a trip i mean i wasn't going to go into debt for it but i also didn't worry too much about how much it cost because we didn't even go on any trips for about two years and so that trip us virgin islands for those who haven't been there is very expensive the vacation rental costs think it was maybe eight thousand dollars for us to stay there for 13 days but it was a beautiful villa it had a pool it had two jacuzzis you had this beautiful view of the caribbean sea and my family of five was there and during part of it my mom joined us who had recently become widowed and so it was way more money than i ever spent on a vacation rental but it was also what we needed at the time so that was an example of we didn't worry too much about the money and it was an expensive trip but for example my most recent trip to portugal we stayed in the month of November, my family had rented for almost the entire month a villa with a pool in this island called Madeira in Portugal. So Madeira is an island, they call it the Pearl of the Atlantic. It's on the Atlantic Ocean. It's closer to North Africa than it is to Europe, but it is an autonomous region of Portugal. And for those of us who are maybe familiar with Portugal, one of the great things about Portugal is that the prices compared to the rest of Europe and certainly compared to the U.S. is relatively inexpensive. So we rent, rented this beautiful villa. I just found it on the internet and it was about $5,000 for the whole entire month. And so you think about that, you think about, okay, it was $8,000 for not even quite two weeks in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And that doesn't count the food prices and the restaurant prices and all the other things in the U.S. Virgin Islands versus this also beautiful island in Madeira, a little bit off the beaten path for the Americans. I mean, people in Portugal certainly know about it. And we were able to stay there for a month for less than the price, way less, 60% of the price than two weeks at another place. So we call it like geographic arbitrage, right? Like just like you have geographic arbitrage in your regular life. So making the most of that, and honestly, travel hacking, actually, when we started the whole chapter in traveling in our life, that's when I started signing up for cards with points and all of that. And so when we first started, you don't have enough points to really use it. But then I try to book stuff early. So when I said I found this amazing villa, and I was able to book it for the whole month of November. I was doing this at least six months in advance, right? Because when you get closer, things get booked up and things get a little bit more expensive. But I also booked our first round trip business class tickets to Portugal on points. We did it through Aeroplan, we flew TAP Portugal. And so that was such a fun experience and that was on points. So it's funny because the flight probably didn't cost any more than it cost to go to the US Virgin Islands, even if you convert the point prices. So flights didn't cost more. And that's part of our strategy is we tend to like to go to off the beaten path places so we don't tend to use points for hotels we tend to just pay for our lodging especially since most of the time we're a bigger family we do a vacation rental house but we try to use the flights with points because you can fly to a place that's more inexpensive on points and then when you get there the lodging and the food is fairly inexpensive cheaper than it is in the u.s
0: Yes, points game is so interesting and so helpful. For our listeners, listen to episode 45 if you would like to learn more about points, where amazing Dr. Devon Gimbal will share her journey and so many helpful tips. It was episode last spring, so episode 45. But let's go back to our travel hacks. So geographic arbitrage and points game, what else help you?
1: Yeah, I think the timing. So using the timing of the traveling. So like I said, everyone has to look at their life and look at the schedules that they have to deal with and figure out what is the best way. So for example, I try to travel in the off season or in the shoulder. Shoulder seasons are the best because and it's depend on the location you want to go to. Like for example, Australia. So when we went to Australia, it was August, but it was their winter, right? And Australia is a very big continent. It's a very big country. So when we went to the north part of Australia, the part that's closer to the equator, that was actually their high season. So it was very clear the prices were way more expensive. But then when we went to the southern part of Australia, that was their winter and it was actually colder and the prices were way cheaper. So just an example of you can try to go to places that are shoulder seasons or low seasons because you have the advantage of flying. So even if it's like, hey, it's our high season because it's our kids summer breaks, you can fly somewhere where in that country that's not their summer, right? So it's it's not their kids summer break so actually it was a very laid back trip traveling through australia because it wasn't their high season for most of it except for this one part that we were in so that's one hack the other hack is if you're like well i only have time to travel in the holidays right like my kids only have the thanksgiving week off or the christmas week off well we spent thanksgiving in portugal and especially in the part of portugal that we were in there are very few americans so they didn't know what thanksgiving was they didn't know what black friday was i thought it was amazing i was like why is everyone advertising for black friday <laughs> but so they know black friday but they. Thanksgiving is not a holiday for them. And because there weren't a lot of Americans traveling there, it wasn't really like high prices. So there are ways that you can, especially being strategic about where you're flying to, or just if you're able to take September to travel because you're not tied to the kids' schedules, then do that because it is a much better month to travel to many parts of the world because the kids are in school.
0: Oh yes. Anything else which can help to get financial part easier? yeah I think the other
1: thing that I try to do is I try to work directly with so let's say in a lot of places I just do it by myself like Australia I planned that trip by myself I booked all this stuff on my own and we rented a car and we did it on our own but in countries like for example in March we were going to the Galapagos and Ecuador and that felt really overwhelming there's the opportunity cost of doing all this research and your time too so I just didn't have time to plan that trip and plus sometimes working with a tour operator or working with a travel agent. Agent is even financially a better thing. However, when you choose who you work with, I think that is very important. So the tour operator that maybe your doctor friends recommended or that you found in some like fancy catalog may not be the best one. So what I try to do is I try to look for local or even like go to a later. When you book those trips, you're going through a third party. And anytime you go through a third party, you want to ask yourself, is there a value add, right? If there's a value add, then by all means, go pick that because realize that whenever there's a third party, you're paying for that third party as well. So for me, I try to look for the local. Even on Viator, I'm like, oh, that looks like an interesting tour. What is that company locally? And then I try to just search for that on my own and then work directly with them if the deal is better. So because you're cutting out the things that may not be adding value and there's something about being able to directly communicate with the person who's actually going to be helping you. So I think that's also a very important thing too.
0: Any particular websites or any other resource this you found helpful? So
1: it really depends on the location. And I think when I was saying if you get a random recommendation from a physician friend, that may not be the best one. But I'm happy to share the things that I've gone through, like on my podcast, or I have a dare to drink physician travel Facebook group too. So I'm happy to be a support as I'm gaining more experiences through my travels. So I try to ask people do a lot of travel who tend to work with the local networks. I do a lot of Google search. So if you go to a website and you're like, wow, this looks great. They're describing the Galapagos or they're describing this. Then you go to that website and there's like 10 to 20- destinations that's probably a sign that they're not local they are contracting with a local company but they are not local or if you go to the website and you search for the destination i usually search for like the destination name and local travel agent or something and you look at their website and they're focused in that area then that's a better sign and then you then try to look for reviews or like you try to learn a little bit more about their reputation to see if they're a good fit to work
0: with. local travel agent yes it's important and what to do about the situation when? child doesn't want to travel. I love that question. It's so good. Yeah, I
1: mean, this is funny because I loved travel before I became a mom and before I became a doctor. So in college, I did a lot of world travel. A lot of it was through Europe, like by myself. And it was this part of myself that I totally forgot until about a year ago. And I had this initial limiting belief. I was like, gosh, I would love to get into travel again, but the kids are getting in the way. Like literally, that's what I thought. I was like, the kids are getting in the way of my world travel dream and then asked the version of me from a year plus ago I would have been like well I guess I have to travel despite the kids like if I could choose if someone could magically watch them and keep them happy for the time then I could just fly away somewhere on my own and leave the kids there Like that literally was the ideal situation in my mind (laughs) but after traveling with my kids for a year I now wouldn't have it any other way and so two of my kids were gung-ho about traveling I explained to them what we were doing and they were like let's do it but I had one child Who I think when we started this process was about eight years old at the time, and he would not have it. I mean, literally, when we announced our decision to go on the first trip to the US Virgin Islands, which is a little bit far away and out of our comfort zone at that time, he was crying. He did not want to go. And when we went, we flew from Vermont, and at the time it's cold, you have to wear socks, you have to wear jackets. And so he started wearing that. And then we got to the US Virgin Islands, it was 80 something degrees, it was hot. He was sweating he was still wearing his vermont clothes and he refused to take it off because he's like i am not here like i am still in vermont like he just was (laughs) he did not want to travel at all i mean there was tears and kicking and maybe not screaming but close to it and so that was the kid Like a year plus ago. And it's frustrating as a parent because you're like, oh, is he gonna get in the way of me traveling? Is my kid gonna get in the way of me living my best life? But we just tried to meet him where he was. So I was persistent. But at one point, I convinced him to take off his socks. We brought his bathing suit. Somehow I caught him at a weak moment. I'm like, why don't you also put on your bathing suit? And then somehow he was in his bathing suit and we're at this beach where you could snorkel. My kids didn't even know how to swim when we first went to the Virgin Islands. But we had the life jacket and I knew how to swim. And we also got the snorkel and the ask for them beforehand and so I'm like this ocean is so amazing there's so much cool fish in here why don't you just go in there and he's like no 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 way I'm not going in there but eventually I kept asking him and I convinced him to go in the water and that was it he was in his life jacket and I held his hand and we snorkeled and it took him a few tries to get the snorkeling thing to work but we went through this amazing reef and we just saw all this colorful fish all this underwater life and he was hooked so the next time he didn't have any trouble getting. His bathing suit. I'm like, hey, do you want to go on another snorkel? Like, he was all in. And so that was like. I mean did he resist other things later yes but this is now also the kid who's now giving me other travel ideas when I do suggest a trip my husband's usually the last one I try to pitch it to I pitch it to my kids first I'll be like I think I want to go to Africa next June and I'm showing them pictures and videos and this same kid who was crying and kicking and screaming and not wanting to go to the Virgin Islands is now like oh yeah I'll go I'll go so it's a growth process I mean every kid is going to be a little different but I think to understand that it's a growing process for them too and then constantly trying to expose them to be able to grow you have to be persistent because if you just let them sit there they will just sit there but i just kept asking him and asking him and eventually it happened
0: It is was awesome anything else which can make travel with small kids easier I think it's lowering expectations.
1: During the first Virgin Island trip, I had this thing. So we live in rural Vermont. It takes us at least two hours, sometimes three, depending on the airport we go to, to drive to the nearest airport. And then usually we like off the beaten path destinations. So you do a layover and you fly and you get to the destination. So in the Virgin Islands, we drove two hours to the airport, we did a layover, and then eventually we got to St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands. But we were on another island called St. John, which is kind of the wilder, more of the national park island. By the time we got there, we had to do a ferry once we got to the airport in U.S. Virgin Island. And then once we got on the ferry, we had to drive to the other side of the island. It was insane. When I feel overwhelmed or stressed, I try to use that as a learning pearl. So I'm like, next time I'm going to break that travel up. So now we just try to make it easier. We may just get a hotel at one of the connecting points or get a hotel to stay. If we have to drive to the airport, get a hotel to stay at the airport. So we travel very slowly slowly just so that it's less overwhelming especially the transition
0: periods it is important for section makes it easier anything else I would say if you are a female doctor
1: and you're listening to this, no matter what stage of life you are in, whether you're in the stage of life with those little kids and you feel overwhelmed with your life already, or your kids are out of the house, or you have this freedom to travel independently, whatever stage of life that you're in, just think or reflect. Really look deep within. I think if for some reason my health didn't allow me, what would I miss? If I want to travel, where do I want to go? That's how I usually do my exercise in my brain is I'm like, if I don't have everything that I have right now what would I regret right like what did I regret not doing so if I take myself in the future and I'm like oh I have sciatica and I can't walk as well or god forbid someone's not as healthy anymore and now we can't go anywhere what would I have told my old self that I really needed to do and then go do that now because life is precious life is uncertain and make the most of what we have now you are not going to regret it
0: It is true. You live life to the fullest every moment. It's true. Wonderful. And if you would like to tell anything else and how our listeners can connect with you, Yes, I love that Dr.
1: Tatiana is putting out this podcast and creating this resource for women physicians to find their voice, to feel empowered. And because you are on a podcast platform, if you want to have inspiration to dare to dream, live your life to the fullest, use fun adventure and travel to help make your life magical, go and look for my podcast, Dare to Dream Physician Travel Podcast and subscribe. I love for you to listen and connect with me. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. I also have a Facebook group called Dare to Dream Physician Travel as well. I'd love to connect with you. Let me know what I can do to help you live your best life and just go book that trip and go. You're not going to regret it.
0: Thank you so much. Such a wonderful, such an inspiring journey. Thank you and great, great tips. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you enjoyed it or found it helpful, please subscribe, leave a 5-star review, and share it with a friend. have any topics you'd like covered, send me an email at joyfulsuccessliving at gmail.com. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram to connect at joyfulsuccessliving. Have an amazing week! See you next time! The Voices of Women Physicians Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not provide any medical, financial, tax, legal or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own well being, decisions and results. Dr Resnick is a practicing physician, but Voices of Women Physicians Podcast is not reflective of the opinion of your employer. You should always contact professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.